Today, the reading will be from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And welcome. Welcome to those at home who are watching and welcome especially to our visitors that are here with us. We are glad to have you. Last week we looked at chapter 12 and we had our evening discussion class. I want to remind everyone that Chad will be leading leading the discussion this evening and he's been doing a really good job so I would invite all of you to come out and see what he has prepared for this evening. But last week we talked about chapter 12. The Apostle Paul talked about how to live as a Christian in light of what God has done. His mercy was showered upon us, and we understand that by Jesus dying for us. We see the mercy of God. We see the love of God by the sacrifice of Christ. God's mercy should stir us to want to please him, not ourselves, which brings us to our spiritual act of worship or spiritual act of service, as some translations say. So as we've seen last week in verses 6 to 8, Paul gave his audience examples of what spiritual acts of worship look like with the goal of taking responsibility of your brother and your sister in Christ. We have a responsibility to one another, and we need to remember that. We're a family. We need to use the gifts that we have to serve the body, to serve the church. And so the Apostle Paul said we belong to one another and we all have gifts. Behind those gifts and behind the spiritual acts of service was love. Love was and is the motivator. Love was the key in everything Paul was saying. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. These Gentiles weren't being very loving toward the Jews. And that was not typical of a Christian. You you must think about it. It, it. Paul must have been frustrated because here he's trying to reach his fellow brothers, the Jews, and trying to bring them to Christ And here the Gentiles are behaving in a way that is just completely unchristian and unloving and talking about they being the special people of God now and that God had rejected the Jews. So can you imagine the frustration that Paul must have felt as he was writing this to these Gentile Christians? To follow Christ means to love him and to love others. This is an act of faith. This is a living faith. This is our living sacrifice. When we serve God and others with the gifts we have, then we are presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Take a look now, verses 9 and 10, which is up on the screen now. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. So Paul made it clear that love is necessary. You cannot be a Christian if, and have no love in you. That doesn't make any sense. Love should be in us. Love has to be sincere. Love has to be real. It can't be a show that you put on. It can't be empty and hollow. We have to really care about people. As a Christian, we have to really care about other people. If we don't even care, if we have contempt, if we have hate for people, can we really think that heaven is going to be our home? Have you ever thought about that? If we've got hate inside of us, Do we really think that heaven is going to be our home? Have you ever considered that this life we live right now, at this time, 
that we get to put the things of God into practice so that we will be ready for our true home, which is heaven. This is our time now, this life, to put love into practice, to put things into practice, to be ready for our life after this life, our life in heaven. We only get this life to truly put these things into practice and so that we will be prepared. God isn't going to allow hate in heaven, so we better get busy. Think about that. God is not going to allow hate in heaven, so we better get busy practicing love, practicing love to God, love for others. We need to be busy. Then Paul said sincere love involves taking a stand. It involves making a choice to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. It's a choice that we make. What Paul said goes to the very heart of a person. It makes a person ask, do I really hate this sin as much as I should? That was the end result Paul was certainly looking for in regards to these Gentiles who were thinking highly of themselves. I'm sure he wanted them to ask that question to themselves. We should ask ourselves the same question. Do I really hate this sin as much as I should? We need to make the choice to hate what is evil, to cling to what is good. Paul said that in brotherly love or sisterly love. That means honoring others above ourselves. Paul wanted his Gentile audience to understand that. It wasn't about putting oneself first. It is easy to be selfish. Think about this. It's easy to be selfish and only think about ourselves. It's harder to put someone else first. Think about that. It's easy to be selfish. Just got to think about it. Oh, me, 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 me. You know, my, 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 my. I want, 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 want. It's easy to be selfish. It's harder to put someone else first before yourself. It requires effort on our part. As Christians, it requires real effort. It requires real sincere love to be able to do it. It requires hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. Take a look now at verses 11 and 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So these Christians should never be lacking in zeal, and neither should we. As one dictionary says, zeal is dedication or enthusiasm for something. If you have zeal, you're willing, energized, and motivated. So if you have zeal, that's what you have. You're energized, you're motivated, you're ready to go. So these Christians should never be lagging or sluggish in zeal, but rather be on fire to serve the Lord, and so should we. We should be all fired up. We should have that same kind of zeal. We should be fired up for the Lord. Fervor means intensity or passion. So when we put it all together, we should never be lacking in our enthusiasm and dedication to the Lord, but keep our spiritual passion for him and for service for him, service to him. So Jesus also expects his people to be serving one another. We talked about this last week, using the gifts that we have to serve one another, to serve the body. We are serving our Lord when we serve each other. Think about that. When you're serving each other, you're actually serving the Lord at the same time. Paul said, be joyful in hope. And that hope is in the return of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, so does everything else that has been promised. Eternal life and a home in heaven. They come when Jesus comes back for us. Good things are waiting for the Christian who hopes in Jesus. We should have joy in our hope. Even though what Paul said has broad application, we have to remember who his audience is. He's talking, he's dressing these Gentile Christians and the behavior that they had towards the Jews. He told them to be diligent in serving the Lord and others. 
and remember the good things waiting for them if they do. There are good things waiting for us too, and we should be joyful about it. We need to think about the rewards that are waiting for us. As we live this life as a Christian, we're going to deal with hard things, but we have great rewards waiting for us. It should give us joy. As Christians, we should be the happiest people on the planet. Really, when you think about it, we should be the happiest people on the planet because what we have to look forward to. But sometimes life throws things at us. It drags us down. And so we're not as happy as we should be. We need to rise above it. We need to be joyful. I've seen Christians many times, not referring to the congregation, but I've seen Christians in the past, uh, many congregations that I had preached for, come in and just, you could tell they just didn't want to be there. And then I would talk to them and find out what was going on in their lives and realize they had great struggles. And to remind them of the rewards, of the hope that they, they hang on to, the hope that we have. Because this life is only 70, 80, 90, 100 years if you're lucky. You get to live eternally in the next life without all the problems you're going through now. So we need to hang on to that hope. That hope comes when Jesus returns for us. So in a subtle, subtle way, Paul was warning these Christians that they would suffer from persecution when he told them to be patient in affliction. The Apostle Paul might have known what was in store for these Gentile Christians later on. Maybe he had an idea what was going to happen to them in the future. Perhaps Paul knew that their arrogance was going to bring some trouble to them. You know, this is what he's dealing with. They were very arrogant. Well, one thing was for certain. They would be afflicted in some way. They were to be patient during their affliction. They were to trust in God. And that's the kind of attitude that we should have. When we are afflicted, we should trust God. Really trust him to get us through those, those hard times. As one commentator said, when trials and afflictions come on us, we must learn to patiently bear them. For the inspired teacher says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James 1, 2, and 3. A complaining, fault-finding spirit is not in harmony with the spirit of Christ. The Christian can afford to be patient under such trials, knowing that by patiently bearing them, the character is completed, perfected, and fitted to dwell with God. And I like what he had to say. It's very good. But especially the part where he says a complaining, fault-finding spirit is not in harmony with the spirit of Christ. It isn't. We shouldn't be complaining. We should trust God. We should trust God with all things. So in other words, trials come to test us, to help us, to mature, and to rely on God, and to live with God. That's what happens when we go through difficulties. Or that's what should happen when we go through difficulties. Our difficulties, our trials, make us conscious of God's presence and prepare us to live with him in heaven. The contemporary English version says, Let your hope make you glad. Be patient in time of trouble and never stop praying. So let me say that again. The contemporary English version says, Let your hope make you glad. Be patient in time of trouble and never stop praying. So when we turn to God in prayer, when trials come, we are conscious of his presence. We are reminded of the one who can help us the one who can give us strength during our trials. We shouldn't try to solve everything on our own without God's help, without consulting God. So perhaps maybe you can remember a time when you were struggling with something and you never turned to God. And you never turned to God during that time. Well, he should be the first person you turn to when you run into hard times. 
God should always be the first person you think of and you turn to when you run into hard times. Paul wanted to make that clear in the minds of these Christians. The Jews knew this and understood it very well. They were people of prayer. They prayed three times a day. They were very diligent in prayer. When we think of all this, it should make us wonder what was in store for these Christians Paul was talking to. In a subtle way, as we mentioned, that he was telling them that they are going to be persecuted. They're going to suffer. They are to be patient in affliction. The apostle might have known what was in store for them. Perhaps Jesus had shared with Paul what would happen to them. Perhaps Paul knew through inspiration, maybe had a vision. We don't know. But something was going to come. Take a look now at verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So share with God's people who are in need. This might have been foreign to the Gentiles, who were used to chasing after things to satisfy themselves. Makes sense, the things that he's saying. Many of them lack self-control. To have to share with each other would have taught them not to be selfish. Would have taught them not to be arrogant. So I thought it was interesting when doing my studies to find that the Greek word translated as share, you'll notice, is koinoneo. Koinoneo. This word means to distribute, participate, partake, and contribute. Well, this word is from the same family as the word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship. Get the word fellowship. When we fellowship with one another, we are participating or partaking or sharing with one another. But then the question becomes, what are we sharing? It's a fellowship. It's a sharing. A sharing of what? We are sharing the one faith, and we are sharing the one spirit that we read about in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. That's what we are sharing. We are sharing our faith, and we are sharing the one spirit. We are together. So the English Standard Version translates verse 13 as contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The King James Version says distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. So we see contribute and distributing are two of the definitions for that word instead of share. And so a Christian must be ready and glad to render assistance to his needy brother or sister in Christ. However, we contribute to the needs not the wants. We have to remember, we have to help them with their needs, but we don't give people everything they want. So we have to be careful of that. One Bible commentator said, in a world which is bent on getting, the Christian is bent on giving. That's the way we ought to be. That's the way we ought to be. This might remind us of James 2, 14 to 17, in which James said, faith without deeds is dead. Well, the Christian should be full of good deeds. We are to help our brother or sister in need. We are not to turn a blind eye to the need and tell ourselves, well, I don't want to have to give anything, or I don't want to have to do anything. That's not the attitude that God wants us to have. God blesses us with the things we have. We are to bless each other with what we have if the need arises. So one very important point I would like to make about helping someone in need, a brother or sister in Christ in need, it is that in doing so, Jesus is pleased. Every time we help someone... Jesus is happy with us. Jesus is pleased with us. Take a look, if you will, at Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40, which we have up here on the screen. So if you want to follow along and read. So Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in and needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So when we serve others, we are serving Jesus. And Jesus is pleased with us. Doing something for each other is like doing it for Jesus. Think about that. We serve Jesus when we serve each other. Part of serving is sharing what God has given us. So in the second half of verse 13, Paul told these Gentile Christians that they were to practice hospitality. Well, this also might have been quite foreign to these Gentile Christians. Maybe they weren't used to doing that. It was something that the Jews knew how to do very well. But maybe the Gentile Christians didn't know how to do that. So the fact that Paul told them to practice it implied that either they were not doing it or they needed to get better at it. One of the two. So hospitality is a Christian trait. It's one that needs to be practiced by all of God's people. Over and over again, God's word makes this clear. If you go through the New Testament, you'll see it mentioned quite a few times. Someone once said that Christianity is the religion of the open hand, the open heart, and the open door. And I like that. That's a good wording. Let me say that again. Someone said that that Christianity is the religion of the open hand, the open heart, and the open door. And I think that's well said. So we are to be open. We are to be honest. We are to be sincere in our love. We are to be ready to serve. This is what Paul was telling the audience of his day. Nothing has changed since then. We're to be like that too. Love is at the heart of it all. That's what God wants from us. Love is at the heart of it. Notice the pun. It's shaped like a heart. So, Love is at the heart of it all. Love, what does it look like? Can a person see it in you? Do you ever stop and think about that? Can somebody see the love inside of you? Do they see it? If they don't, then maybe that's something we need to work at. How are you expressing your love for Christ? Remember that God showed his love for you by sending his son to die for you. God's love didn't end there, though. God continues to take care of us and provide for us daily. So again, I ask you, how are you showing your love for God? Are you serving? Are you helping out? Are you volunteering whatever you can? Are you doing what you should be doing? Let's show our love by truly loving one another with sincere love. By sharing the gospel with others. By serving each other and helping each other when there is a need. And by showing hospitality. These are things that were laid out in this section the gospel with others. But that should be come naturally and should be normal. So I want to finish this lesson with 1 John chapter 4. We had from a reading, the reading from 1 John chapter 4 earlier, but this is backing up in that chapter, verses 7 to 12. Listen to what it says here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live 
through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Meditate on those words tonight. Meditate on those words during the week. They're very important. If you are here today, if you have not heard about Christ's sacrifice for you,